Welcome to the On Point Podcast, a channel dedicated to helping you be the best hunter you can be. On Point is designed to help motivate and inspire you to get more out of yourself and your gear during your next hunt. If you're looking for information that will directly impact your success and help inspire you to go on new adventures, whether you're hunting with a bow or a rifle, On Point is the channel for you. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. David Thompson, the producer of the Arms Room Show podcast, which is a firearms basic self-defense uh, first aid podcast where they go over all that stuff. Um, great group of guys giving a lot of really good information to folks that want it in those areas. Um, very established podcast. Go check them out. That's the Arms Room Show podcast. Well, he and I go over backcountry medical needs, what you need to have, what you need to know. If you go out in the backcountry, you get hurt, cuts, lacerations, broken legs. Uh, he's really knowledgeable in this area, and uh, you know he's helped save a lot of lives out there with the classes that he gives. And uh, it's really cool to see how often people get back to him and say, hey, I use that information, or hey, I use that class and it saved my life. It's pretty cool the information that he gives really does make a big impact for people out there that use it. And uh, we go over backcountry medical and we also go over hunting Arizona. So uh, I'm really interested in both of these areas. I'm really inadequate in the medical stuff and, and my gear just, you know, maybe I carry a few band-aids and, and some glue and whatever, but you know, I need to really up my game on my medical kit stuff, carry that with me in the woods. And then also I'm super interested in hunting in Arizona. Well, David also knows a lot about hunting in Arizona. He lives there himself. And so we go over what kind of out of state uh, for guys that are hunting out of state like me want to go hunt Arizona. What kind of opportunities do we have for over the counter and stuff like that? So it made for a great uh, it made for a great podcast. Really appreciate David taking his time coming on to the show. And if you guys can, be sure to go check out his podcast again. That's the Arms Room Show podcast, and uh, go follow him on Instagram at uh, David Thompson, and that's Thompson without a P. So uh, thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. I will see you at the end of the episode. Bye. With the, with the medical stuff going on this year, guys having accidents, broadhead um, punctures, lacerations. Um, we had a deer actually cut up a guy. You and I were just talking about that. Um, I thought it would be a good idea, and, and you actually brought the yeah. idea to me. Um, let's do a, a, you know like a first aid medical situation training. What do you need? What do you need to know? Cause that's an area that I'm really lacking on. I have yeah. like this tiny little, a little bit bigger in a wallet and it has like probably a few band-aids in there, maybe a little pack of ibuprofen uh, and a thing of gauze. Oh I don't know. I haven't <laughs> even, it's not, it's not adequate. We'll put it that way. <laughs> so yeah, we, we uh, call that a boo-boo kit. A boo-boo kit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I have a boo-boo kit and I don't have an, an oh shit kit. So I feel like we need to, I need to at least up my game and also I'm dying cause you live in Arizona. I'm dying to pick your brain about the draw. So, um, but let me, let me oh, yeah. uh, give you a, a chance to, uh, to introduce yourself and, and go over your background and stuff. Well, I am David. Uh, I'm from Arizona and I have a hunting problem. <laughs> uh, no, but my background is coming from EMS. Um, it was a little bit of what I told you, uh, the last decade or so. Uh, I've been in EMS, was a paramedic, and then started training, realized I love teaching people. I love teaching new students. I love teaching new hires, everybody. So I started teaching more 
Mm-hmm. Um, I want to move back to Arizona. Uh, I fell into this company that I'm with now, Independence Training, and started teaching medicine. Uh, we decided to give it a shot. Uh, we also do firearms training. So I have a competitive shooting background, fell into that pretty easily. So we do a combination, but in all honesty, uh, we're probably close to a 70-30 split for medical firearms. Uh, not that people don't like shooting stuff, right. but it's necessity of, of medicine. So as I've done more and more of it, trying to expand the, the knowledge of what I have and all our other, other instructors, um, we have experiences from military medicine to hospitals to pre-hospital to flight medics to everything. Uh, we really? have a bunch of guys that have a bunch of backgrounds. When we come together, it's not just one side of things, one opinion. It's all of us say, hey, how would that work for you? How would that work for us? Um, and we have probably the bigger one uh, system that we kind of draw from is not only military, but uh, like backcountry rescue uh, is pretty popular. Really? So, yeah, we teach all that stuff. Um, and I just, I love it. And when I started reaching out to you, I saw that the content was good. I was like, man, not enough people know about it. And it's not some secret language that mm-hmm. people can't learn. Like everything I know or everything I've learned, everybody can learn for free. I just had to go take a course so I could work in the field. That's it. Oh, okay. So it, it was, yeah, it seemed to be an important thing for me to, to start reaching out and teaching people it. So, so you're, you're in, you say competitive shooting, like three gun yeah. and stuff or uh, three gun, two gun, uh, USPSA. So handgun stuff, uh, handguns are definitely my forte. Really? Uh, yeah. And, and we do, uh, as far as our company goes, we do everything from handguns to precision long range rifle stuff. Uh, nice. So a lot of our guys are really into it. Uh, handgun, just a simple little pew pew. That's, that's what I'm about. I, I so. have a, uh, I don't know if you can see my safe behind me, but I, I yeah. used to be really into, into long range. Um, and then finally there came a time where it was like bows or rifles. You can't, can't be as good as I want to <laughs> be at both. So I just, yeah. I, I, I chose bows, but, um, I've got yeah. like two or three, th- three platforms in there that, um, two of them haven't even been shot yet. And they're like long, they're, you know, one's a thousand easy. Thousand <laughs> yard gun. It's like, man, and some of them been in the safe for like three years and I'd just love to, to do a long range episode <laughs> one of these days. But, um, so oh, yeah. do you, do you do the long range stuff to yourself? Oh no, that's like a foreign language to me. Is it? I that's funny because pistols yeah. is my weak area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's usually the case. That's why I love it is because it is most people aren't huge fans of pistols. So I'm like, ah, that's, that's what I want to get good at. Uh, right. Well, you think, you know, guys that carry pistols when, when they bow hunt, you think we'd be more addict, you know, a, a little more efficient mm-hmm. with them. And if I can hit like yeah. that at 20 yards or I'm like ecstatic, I'm like, holy crap, I just hit a pie plate at like 20 yards <laughs> of the pistol. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. But, and it's pretty amazing. Cause we, we teach the, uh, the self-defense side of things too. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of amazing the number of people that carry a firearm yet don't train with that firearm. Yeah. Uh, it's almost, it's almost scary thinking about it, but it is. Well, one thing that I've always training. wondered is that I seem to be way more accurate with revolvers than I am with slide pistols. You know, <laughs> I, I don't get it. And then, uh, when I took my concealed course a couple years ago, this lady was there with like a, I don't know, 357 or something like that. And I'm there with my XD9, and uh, she's just kicking my ass. And like, <laughs> she's she had to be 50, 60 years old, and just 
put them in a group like that. I'm just trying to hit the freaking piece of paper. It's like, just give me my certificate. I need to get out of here. So I, I don't, I don't get it. And so you just take it, you just start throwing your gun yeah. at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'd be more lethal that way. But, <laughs> hey, but, yeah. Um, but yeah more that I've way. got a 380 uh, or my wife has a 380 on the nightstand, a Walther PK 380 um, that we have the rip rounds mm-hmm. with. And, you know, you can get into pistols really easily on this conversation because guys carry them out in the woods. Um, I listened to a podcast one time where, you know, what's the best round? What's the actual best cartridge for bears and stuff like that if you're going to be defending yourself? And um, Mm -hmm. I think they came up with like a 10 millimeter was um, one of the better rounds. 10 millimeter is amazing. Problem is is the accessibility of it. Yeah, I've never never shot one. Yeah, I like... I like stuff and that's a whole conversation we could have. Yeah. Hey, we could have a talk about best caliber period forever. Really? Uh, Cause there's really like, if, if we, if I found the best caliber ever, I would have it already. And I would tell you what it is. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just not there. There's so many things you could debate. Um, and that's not even the important factor of it. Uh, when, without getting into the self-defense side of it, but uh, knowing the best thing you could do is knowing what that round can do. So not only looking at like ballistic reports of it, but what does, that round do when it impacts soft tissue, not a watermelon. That seems to be the right. biggest thing is people shoot watermelons. <laughs> uh, I'm not afraid of a watermelon attack happening anytime soon. So I'm not super concerned, but right. yeah, uh, that's probably rounds. the best way. Those yeah. things are not around. So the, what we use, uh, and we, I preach it is the, uh, federal HST. Uh, it's a great, self-defense round and i imagine i haven't had to use it on an animal yet but <laughs> i know what it does to human soft tissue so really i'm pretty sure it'll do just fine against an animal so um yeah so let's go let's start getting into uh, i guess we'll just start getting into the medical stuff so my okay. like you know what yeah he called my kid a boo-boo kit and that's that's really adequately put. <laughs> it's not much. If I actually had a laceration that I needed to stop bleeding, I, you know what I'd probably do. Cause I don't wear a belt. I wear uh, suspenders with my ASAT um, uh, pants mm-hmm. and stuff. My first light, I'd probably, I'm just thinking off the top. If I had something happen, I'd take that and I'd tie that sucker around my leg as tight as I could. And that would be the only thing I had for a tourniquet. Um, do you carry tourniquet mm-hmm. stuff? What, what, what's your kid even look like? So I actually pulled this off of my vehicle. I have these on all my vehicles. So it has everything on it uh, from a light headlamp, light source, shears, a other way, chem light, and then window punch, seatbelt cutter. And then the first thing I can get is a tourniquet. Tourniquet. Uh, So that I keep in my vehicle. I have a kit for my pack. Um, It's a lot smaller than that just because there's only so many things that you need to immediately address. Um, and for the most part, that kind of kit would be in my pack if I was going out for a longer, if I was doing like uh, like a backpack hunt where I'm just living out of my pack and that's it, then yeah, mm-hmm. I'd have a bigger kit. Um, but immediately um, I have just a small kit and that's about it. I actually carry around everywhere I go. Um, I don't have it on me because I'm at home and I didn't grab it before the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have an ankle kit that has all the same stuff that I wear literally everywhere. I go hiking, hunting, whatever really? you just on a daily basis. Yeah. I have a, a ankle kit. Um, what do you mean by an ankle kit? So 
it actually wraps. So if you kind of imagine the old school ankle holsters mm-hmm. uh, or revolvers, it's that same thing. And it has all the same stuff as a tourniquet. It has a bandage. It has a uh, quick clot. So like a hemostatic gauze to stop bleeding uh, has shears. It has a chest seal. So all this stuff, if it's foreign language to anybody, yeah, uh, it's, it's not crazy once I explain it, but it's everything that can basically that I need to take care of right away. And the best part about it is it's uh, TSA approved. So I've flown all over the place with it. That's uh, really valuable. With the yeah. Uh, I have legitimately tried to get TSA to question what it is and I can't get them to question. <laughs> like I, the two things I carry around with me everywhere is a flashlight and my ankle kit. So I always have med supplies and I always have a light source. Um, there's a little pocket light. Uh, but I have tried so many times where they're like, Oh, put, put your stuff in the bin. I have put it directly on the belt to get them to go, what is this? And they still yeah. won't, they don't care. Really? Uh, so yeah. And we've gone, I have, uh, a couple of our instructors have gone international with it. No issues. Um, everything. So in the biggest thing people are concerned about are the trauma shears. They sell a little, these small ones, get it. Uh, it's a little five and a half inch trauma shears. And so they have uh, like those a TSA approved. angle. So they're, str- they're like regular scissors mm-hmm. with rounded edge. It looks like a kindergartner's 45 degree angle yep. scissor, basically. So, yeah. So trauma shears, you can't cut yourself at all with yeah. any of it. Uh, and it has this kind of bevel on the end of it. Uh, yeah. So it actually slides against the skin. You can cut clothes off. You can cut leather boots off. You can cut everything really? off. Really? Um, yeah, with these, they cut through everything the original one so uh with these ones the old pennies you could actually cut an old penny in half um with the way the shears are designed and then they make kevlar ones so they can actually cut through kevlar uh everything so they have seven and a half inch ones which are the common ones those are assault shears tsa does not want you to have those those are (laughs) lethal shears apparently but the five and a half inch ones nope those are safe shears okay um but yeah so i i have that the ankle kit with me everywhere so I can always have uh, med supplies with me because you never know when you're going to need it. Yeah. What kind of weight are we talking about? Cause that, that is about ha- like, I don't know about half the size of a lunch pail. Probably about is about what it looks so like. That, yeah. That one, this one. So it's a vehicle kit. Uh, so this one actually has a Velcro backing. It sits on the back of my passenger seat. So, okay. so you won't pack that out in the woods with you? Uh, I would, but I have a separate one that's more of a small duffel size, so it packs okay. a little bit easier. Yeah. Uh, but it's the same contents. But this one, uh, before getting into why it's on the back of my headrest, uh, it's honestly, I would say no more than three pounds. Okay. Um, so it's just it looks bulkier than it is just because there's a bunch of stuff inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is for vehicles. So I have it in my hunting rig. I have it in my commuting vehicle. I have it in my wife's vehicle. Um, it's all in the same place, same contents, everything. Uh, and that's kind of the crucial part too, that a lot of people don't consider is you might, if you happen to have this kind of stuff, the number one question I'll ask people is, okay, where do you keep it? Like, Oh, I'll keep it in my trunk or I'll keep it in my pack while driving or whatever. Uh, I'm sure, you know, some of the back roads we go on are necessarily the most stable back roads. Right. Uh, so if you happen to roll a vehicle, your vehicle becomes a yard sale. Uh, if it's not attached to something, it's going somewhere and God knows where. 
So having it attached to a headrest is for that specific reason is mm -hmm. if I need to, if I'm laying upside down, I can reach over, pull it off and access what I need. Right. So, so well, I do safety for work and in every, pretty yeah. much every work vehicle is supposed to have a med kit with them. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of them, uh, you know, they're required to have a bloodborne pathogens kit. Yeah. Um, do you carry that in the woods and bloodborne pathogens? Would you mind going over that real quick for people that may not know? So, yeah. So bloodborne pathogens is really, it's almost self-explanatory. So the diseases that are found in the blood mm -hmm. and you normally, the equipment you care for is like face masks, gloves, um, eye shields, whatever, uh, to prevent you from absorbing any diseases that might be in the blood, like hepatitis C, hep mm -hmm. B, uh, HIV, that kind of stuff. So that you see it a lot on the commercial end cause it's an OSHA ANSI requirement. So basically yeah. big corporations, safety corporations say this is what you have to have. So, um, out in the woods, I'm not necessarily concerned about it. Uh, but the only thing I do have on me is gloves, um, in multiple gloves for two reasons. One, because I plan to clean an animal at some point. Uh, <laughs> right. and I like having gloves for that. Um, I, yeah, I'm kind of, unfortunately, I'm kind of like a, not necessarily germaphobe, but I'm not a fan of getting blood all over me. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I've done it, but still I don't like it. Um, and the other thing is if I need to start treating anything for medical, uh, I have gloves. So then I'm, right. I'm not worried about it. Um, well, my thing is I have eye protection because I'll have my sunglasses or whatever. Yeah. Well, my thing with the bloodborne pathogens thing, and that's why I ask is because, you know, if I run into, you know, Joe Blow out in the woods and he has a broken leg and you know, it's a compound fracture, it's bleeding or whatever. Um, I don't know if that guy's clean, you know, like I don't mm -hmm. want to, that, that stuff does go through yeah. my mind before I would even. Yeah. And so that's where, yeah. And that's where I would have stuff like, uh, like gloves. That's the biggest reason why I have gloves, mm -hmm. uh, is because I don't know what that person's going to have. Uh, if I know I'm going out, uh, with my friend's family, um, I know what they have. I'm not concerned. If my wife got hurt, I'm not really concerned about getting her blood on me. But yeah, I, I carry around gloves in each of my kits. Uh, and then I will put like my sunglasses on for eye protection if I need to. Um, but that's about the extent. You could go more if you wanted to, but it's not necessary. Uh, yeah, really, that's, it's not too bad. One thing that I know when I was growing up is you ever heard of like the buck fever, like the actual buck fever when you're gutting a deer? You ever yeah. hear that? Yeah. And that, to me, I, you know, yeah. I grew up thinking like yeah. every time I'd get a deer, I'm like, Oh God, you know, I hope I don't end up with gut fever. Like it was contagious. I didn't know. You know? <laughs> it's that, that's basically just the deer with your blood, isn't it? And then you getting sick or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought there was yeah. like an actual buck fever that you'd get like cat scratch fever kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. so I never lot of worn gloves, like, but I could see myself. Yeah. I mean, I could see myself getting my, you know, some of my buddies use those gloves to, to fill dressing gloves, but I wouldn't, you know, I've never, mm -hmm. never had that problem, but it would be nice to have cause it, you know, mm -hmm. chances are pretty slim, but again, I mean, it is a chance if you don't, if you aren't using gloves when you process your yeah. animal. So especially I haven't yeah. cut myself and, and like, I just, eight or 10 animals. I, I, I mean, I haven't cut my, I, I should knock on wood. I haven't cut myself in so many animals that I processed. <laughs> Next one, I know I'm just going to slice myself now, but, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you carry uh, a tourniquet, you've got gauze and what was that anti, mm -hmm. um, blood clotting stuff that you're talking about there? And is that stuff that a regular Joe Schmo like me could go out and buy? 
Oh yeah. So all this stuff, uh, if I, if I can remember, uh, or if you remind me, I'll send you links to the places you can get it. Uh, but that, that stuff is called hemostatics. Uh, so it basically, yeah, it helps clot blood faster, not necessarily better, but it helps it clot faster. Um, so the, the idea is, um, to give you a reference point, if you were to have a cut and it was an arterial bleed or even just regular bleed, uh, you'd have to maintain the pressure for clotting, uh, for it to clot for about 10 minutes is usually what you're looking at. Really? Uh, and then that's when it's going to have enough buildup to actually stop and form a clot. The hemostatics bump that time. Well, I guess take that time down to uh, about three minutes at most. Uh, you have about a minute to three minutes of holding time. So it just clots it faster. Um, and there's a couple that we recommend uh, normally. It's uh, Cellox is one and then Quick Clot is the other one. Most people are pretty familiar with Quick Clot. Okay. Uh, it's that old, uh, you ever seen old war movies where they dump the yeah. granule like powder? Yeah. 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 Don't, don't use that stuff. That stuff is awful. <laughs> oh really? Uh, is it like it actually has stuff like it just doesn't work? Energy. Yeah. No, it actually burns. It causes third degree burns inside the wounds. Oh uh, yeah. It can cause some serious damage. So they got rid of it. The stuff I have is actually, it's gauze, but it's impregnated with that hemostatic. So okay. it's just gauze with the hemostatic. So question for you. So if I have a laceration and say it's a good one or a good puncture, I'm bleeding like a stuck pig. Yeah. Just for my very shallow knowledge, I would put, um, say a gauze, I'd have a lots of pressure on there and then I'd raise the leg. Um, what would, what would be the protocol? Say if I, um, did you see the one where, um, Dave, the Dave Brinker accident Mm -hmm. this year? Did you happen to see that? I don't think so. Um, no, he had like um, a pretty good puncture in the side of his shin, and it barely missed an artery somewhere down there, and um, it was mm. bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. And that's basically what they did. Um, it worked out pretty well, but you know that's just one where I could definitely see you know punctures and lacerations when it comes to bow hunters. I think I feel like those would probably be your most likely um, yeah things, unless you have a fall, a slip trip or a fall, and you break something. Yeah. Um, so what would so, be your, what would be your treatment for just a standard, something like a standard bleed or puncture, pun, you know, puncture or laceration? What would be your go-to process? So the first thing you'd have to know is if it's an arterial bleed or a venous bleed. So, um, little anatomy lesson, uh, arterial bleed is under pressure. It's blood pumping away from your heart. Venous bleed is veins. It's bringing it back to your heart. So it's all about the oxygenation that whole system, but your heart's pumping out. If you have an arterial bleed, you're going to see it spurting, squirting. That's when you see the dramatic, like just yeah. spurts of blood with every pulse. Uh, or we also say pooling, soaking. If it's under like longer clothes, like the sleeves mm-hmm. is just pooling and soaking. So that's arterial bleed. If it's just kind of oozing out, it's not that big a deal. That's a venous bleed. Uh, arterial bleeds are the big issue. Um, you could use gauze, uh, and that's, if you had to pack a wound. So if it's a wound, you couldn't use a tourniquet on, um, the way best way, I guess the best way you could think about it is think of your arteries, like a garden hose. Uh, you have that thing on full blast. And if you had to turn off that garden hose without using the nozzle, how would you turn it off? You'd kink it. Yeah. So you go up the line, you kink it. So that's what a tourniquet does. I'm bleeding here. I go up the line. I kink it with a tourniquet. If I can't kink it. So if I'm up here, my armpit, 
uh, or my neck area, I can't put a tourniquet on it. Uh, how could you get, if I took that hose and I put my hand directly on it, what would happen with the water? Yeah, it'd just go everywhere, wouldn't it? Yeah, it just spray. So, sides. Yeah. So that's what direct pressure does. So if you imagine you had something spurting, squirting, and you just put direct pressure on it, you're not stopping it. You're just diverting where it's going. So you actually have to take your finger, figure out where that artery is, and start packing gauze into that wound to make direct contact with it. Uh, so essentially, you're creating a cork for your arteries. So how long can a guy make, or how far or how long can a guy make it on one of those types of injuries? Say if he does nick an artery, to me, I'd be screwed, you know, like, mm-hmm. like oh, I'm just, let me bleed out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. I'm going to die where I love to be. So Yeah. Uh, uh, so a tourniquet, if you put a tourniquet on, you have six to eight hours uh, until you actually start having limb loss or l- lost tissue or dead tissue. Uh, so that used to be an old like wives tale where they'd say, no, if you throw a tourniquet on there, uh, they're going to lose a limb. Uh, and it's just kind of funny if you think about it. So the whole reason you're putting a tourniquet on is because they're going to bleed to death, mm-hmm. but you're not going to put a tourniquet on because they're going to lose a limb. Like that just, right. that logic doesn't weigh out to me, <laughs> but um, yeah. So six to eight hours with a tourniquet, uh, essentially with the wound packing, you could last a while. You get into longevity of care. So if you were, let's say, half a day's hike from your vehicle, Mm -hmm. uh, you'd just have to learn how to redress a wound, and that's not very hard. Uh, You could last days uh, if you knew how to dress wounds. And it really isn't hard. You just have to know what you're looking for. Um, And that's, is it bleeding through? Uh, Knowing what general infection looks like, uh, smells like, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, You can learn how to manage it. And redressing it is literally just putting a new one on and it's more complex and a little bit than that. Uh, and one thing I can't stress enough is even this people listening to this, um, I might give a couple tips on medical stuff, but I can't stress enough, like get the training if you can. Uh, there's a, a foundation or a organization called bleedingcontrol.org. So it's a, a national organization called stop the bleed or program called stop the bleed and you can find these programs everywhere uh and they're free for the most part unless people throw them into their own stuff and Mm. they go over how to use a tourniquet how to wound pack how to do all that stuff uh and it's usually about an hour and a half two hours really Um, but yeah you go to bleedingcontrol.org and you can usually find stuff that's around you um without getting too sales pitchy we do travel all over the nation to teach so just saying. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And what? And, and I've got no problem you giving yourself a shout out. What company and how do they get a hold of you, real quick? <laughs> so uh, we're the company's Independence Training. Uh, it's if you go to independencetraining.com or trainingaz.com, whatever. Uh, it goes to the same website. Uh, but if you have questions about it, you can email us at info at trainingaz.com. Okay. So, well, yeah. is a is a guy that has provided all this training, and a lot of it has has been to hunters and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. What what are some of the most common things that you find out there that would be good for the listeners to know? Uh, I think the easiest thing that I've learned to get people to understand the importance of medicine, because a lot of people go, "Well, I'm safe; like that won't happen to me." Mm-hmm. It's a little bit easier with hunters because most hunters are in that mindset of the reason you bring extra gas or extra water or extra whatever is because you go just in case, like I'm smart with my stuff, but just in case. So it's usually easier to teach hunters and outdoors people why it's important. It's just mm-hmm. the understanding 
Um, but learn how to use this stuff and use the right stuff. Like you wouldn't use, um, all right, how about this? Yeah. So you could, could you, if you actually, if you had to, do you think you could kill a deer with a rock? Could do you think if you I could had figure to, out how to kill probably. it? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but would it be easier if you had your bow or a rifle? Oh yeah. Yeah. So why, why not? Why would you skimp and say, well, if I had to, I'll make a whatever work for a tourniquet or I'll make this work for wound packing when you can use the actual piece of equipment that was designed to do that. Right. Um, and as far as you can do stuff uh, like an ace bandage for a tourniquet, uh, my favorite is actually uh, a belt. So that's a huge, huge thing. Most people think that belts will work. Uh, they won't. I promise. Uh, they will not. And I know somebody out there is going to be like, oh, well, so-and-so <laughs> that I knew of somebody, they did it once and it worked. And it's, it's cool. It's an anecdotal experience. Um, and, you know, I'm willing to listen. Uh, I Prove me wrong kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but really it's a, was that truly an arterial bleed? Did the, was it a small nick or what? And so it, it turns into an anecdotal experience. So why base it off of that one instance when, uh, for example, this tourniquet, it's called a cat tourniquet, has thousands upon thousands of studies proving that it stops and it works. Uh, a cat tourniquet? Yeah, a cat tourniquet. What, Combat what application that? tourniquet. A what? So... Sorry for the noise. The uh, combat application tourniquet. Okay, yeah, that's the one with the uh, thing that you twist. Yep. Well, they all have, it's called a windlass. So they should have this guy. Okay. So that, that stick. So the old, I don't know if, uh, if you're a Boy Scout or whatever, but they used to do uh, a stick and a rag or a cravat yeah. or a bandit bandana. So it's that kind of mentality. The issue we found with, bandanas is they don't compress. So that's the whole idea is you're trying to compress your muscles to your bone because your arteries run all the way down. Uh, so you're trying to compress your muscles to the bone to stop the artery from pumping. So you need something that compresses more than what you can. So I get this thing as tight as I can and then I twist it and it gets it even tighter. Okay. Uh, How tight do you want those things? Is there, is it possible to over tighten? Uh, it would be really difficult to over tighten it. Uh, so Putting one of these on, for example, you put on initial tightness is crucial. Uh, on average, it takes four to six turns to get it to stop. Uh, and most of that, the average is based off of people not getting it tight enough. Uh, if you get it on tight enough, I guarantee if you manage to get a hold of one of these and you practice after even one tighten or one twist, you're going to go, yeah, this doesn't feel great at all. <laughs> right. uh, that's probably the one of the bigger things that I try to remind our students is uh, fixing traumatic injuries is going to cause pain. It is, unfortunately. In mm -hmm. order to fix the pain, you have to cause pain. Because uh, you imagine packing a wound, that's not going to feel great. Putting a tourniquet on, it doesn't feel great. Right. Uh, but it's going to save a life, basically. That's really interesting. I want to go over another thing that I've, I've heard is the zip stitches. Have you ever seen those? Yeah. Uh, uh, do you carry I like stuff them. for suturing and, and for, or for stitching? I have uh, a suture kit. So for my campsite kit or my vehicle, uh, I have sutures. But for in my pack, um, I have uh, skin staplers. It's just way easier. Uh, I've never even heard of that. This is basically what it says. It's like a device that staples your skin together. Yeah. So imagine uh, just the big high-end staplers, uh, not like your office stapler, but the, the bigger stapler. All it is is it has these staples and it hooks the skin. So you bring the skin together and you just staple it up uh, oh, and it keeps the wound closed. So 
Well, you're right. You cause him pain to, to save pain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you always have to cause pain. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I we've got these ones that we use for targets when we go shoot, and they're, they're silver, and it's got a handle, and you basically squeeze it together, and it shoots a staple out. That's basically kind of what you're talking about there. I mean, it's fairly yeah. fairly heavy. Um, yeah. I would not want to shoot myself yeah. with one of those. those. The medical ones are not. Well, yeah, those are definitely way more intense. They're not yeah. the, the same level, but it's it's looks roughly like the same thing. Uh, okay. But it's definitely not. It's not one of the, you're not rubbing or shooting one of those things into you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I just, I'm trying to figure out the but, most painless way. The zip stitch probably looks the least painless way. I know that's kind of chicken shit, but I, I just, <laughs> I mean, staples, that's, I mean, I could do it. Obviously, if you're in that situation, you're going to do it or else, you know, you're probably going to die, but. It, when, when would you want to use a um, a suture kit or a, a stitch scenario? It would it be could you do it for a puncture? Would you do it for a a laceration? And when would you not want to do it? Because I feel like if you don't stop the bleeding, but you suture it up, are you suturing? Is it just going to keep bleeding on the inside there? I know maybe that sounds stupid. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so if you, you don't. Uh, yeah, bleeding control is number one. Uh, you can die in as little as one minute to as long as five minutes from an arterial bleed. Uh, it happens fast. And meanwhile, you're losing blood, you're losing cognitive ability. Uh, yeah. It just, it sucks. So having a tool that I can put this thing on in 15 seconds rather than trying to fight it, uh, that's why that's important. But bleeding control is super important. So you have to have that under control. After I have all the bleeding control done, that's when I start addressing the wound. So I go and I suture it if I need to, or I start bandaging it or do whatever I need. Um, But that's only after I have bleeding under control. I wouldn't suture it just to try to help it stop. Because like you said, yeah, it's just going to keep bleeding on interiorly or whatever. Um, So let's pretend I have, say, a, a puncture in, in my abdomen or something like that, or a laceration in my abdomen, I, I fall on my broadhead or something. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- how would you take mm-hmm. care of that? I mean, you yeah. uh, apply pressure, but then you can't, obviously you can't tourniquet your belly. I mean, I don't know what you would do there. What, what would be your process? Right. So they make dressings for your abdomen. Uh, cause the biggest thing you're concerned about when you get a, a laceration or a puncture in your abdomen is the internals falling out. That's really the biggest issue. If you see some of your insides coming out, don't start shoving them back in. Uh, please don't do that. <laughs> it reminds me of Tropic Thunder uh, where that kid's like, I can put it back. You want to wrap it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you want to dress the wound. Um, there's different ways. Get a bag. You want to keep it moist. The abdomen is definitely definitely not as bad. If you just had a puncture, um, and that if you fell on your broad head and for whatever reason you felt inclined to rip it out right away, yeah. um, then just make sure there's nothing there and then just bandage it. So abdomen's not that big a deal. All your major bleeds are going to be in your arms, your neck, your armpits, and your groin. Uh, so arms, legs, neck, pit, neck, neck, pit. Wow. That's a new word. Uh, <laughs> neck and uh, groin. And then the other concern is the chest. So not necessarily abdomen but the chest because that's when you start getting into airway issues. Um, yeah. So two number that I was going to say two number one, the number one leading cause of preventable death. So stuff that people die from that we could stop is bleeding mm-hmm. uh, airway compromise or tension pneumothorax is number two. 
So you get a puncture in the chest, it pierces the lining in there, air pressure starts equalizing, which crushes along, which basically makes you stop breathing after mm -hmm. a while, uh, starts messing with everything. So if you had a puncture in the chest, um, you literally, so the chest seal is where that comes into play and it's literally a sticker. So if you've ever put a sticker on in your life, you can put a chest seal on, <laughs> uh, you need a clean, dry surface and then you put it on there and that's literally all it really? is. Uh, but if you needed to, if you had a, a puncture, um, and you didn't have a chest seal, uh, you take, I don't know if you take, do you take any like protein bars or any snack items with yeah. you when you're out? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. You know, sometimes I'll like a payday or yeah. something like that. So, so you'd want to use that kind of plastic because it's designed to keep air out. So mm -hmm. you use like a payday wrapper and you'd want to put that over top and then duct tape all sides of it. Um, and that keeps the air from going in downside to that is duct tape doesn't stick to skin super well. So you're going to have to keep dressing it over and over and over. Uh, really? while the chest seal is a gel adhesive that's designed to kind of go around dirt and grime and whatever and actually stick to the skin. Uh, but it's not to say that you couldn't get it done with just a regular food wrapper or whatever. So that's really interesting. So, I mean, what about, um, punctures that go all the way through? I've, I've always heard that say, if you get something that goes maybe like through you, it, that's now part of your body mm -hmm. until you get back to the emergency facility or whatever. What's yeah. your, so let's, let's pretend I have something that I'm not, it's a, it's a puncture, but it's deep enough to where I'm, it's now a part of me. What, what would be the, and that's pretty extreme, I know, but, um, what would be the procedure for that? Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. So that's hundred percent. Yeah. Don't, don't remove any, anything that has been stabbed inside of you ever. Um, just don't the, well, I say ever, the only time I would remove stuff is if it was keeping me from rendering aid. So if I had a puncture straight in the middle of the chest and I had to do CPR, it's kind of a, yeah, like six to one half dozen, the other type thing. But, uh, yeah, never remove it. You're going to want to stabilize it and make sure it doesn't wiggle around. That's just for your own comfort really. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, don't remove it because what they're concerned about is that might be keeping stuff from getting worse. Uh, you could have nicked an artery, but say you fell and it was your, your arrow, everything went through, mm -hmm. uh, and you're just, you're stuck completely, uh, with your arrow. The broad head could have nicked an artery and then now the arrow is resting against that and it's keeping you from bleeding out internally. So if you go to pull that out or do whatever, you could cause more damage or you could cause it to unblock and start bleeding out. So you just stabilize it and keep it in until you get to the emergency. That's so, interesting. Yeah. Cause that's what I've so always heard. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a story I read and this is years ago. I don't know how I even remember it, but this guy was horseback riding. He was a bow hunter. His quiver was, Oh, oh is the internet still working there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. He, he, you know, he had his quiver on his, uh, mounted onto his horse with him and his horse bucked and arrows went everywhere. He went off the horse, ended up landing. I think he had like three arrows go through him and, uh, you know, he's sitting there thinking, you know, all crap. And I don't remember how it ended. He obviously he lived, but, um, you know, that, you know, these things can happen out there, even though they sound extreme. These are things that, you know, I, I was hunting, um, just, uh, last weekend out in Idaho and we're about a mile from the truck, but it's pretty rugged terrain where we were at. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely just hammered my knee. It was 
like four inches of snow and the rocks weren't really showing. Well, I stepped on this, we're talking really steep slope, stepped on this rock. And then basically my other yeah. foot, um, didn't catch in my, my just below the kneecap landed on that rock. And I'm thinking, Oh, not this far back here, you know? <laughs> so I, you know, and I've had that happen a couple times, you know, where one time I was about four to, I don't know, four to five miles in and I smacked my shin and I like told, you know, I said, Mitch, and then like, he turns around. I'm like, I, I'm not sure how bad this is here. Cause I, it, it was pretty yeah. bad and it turned out, yeah. you know, after 10 minutes, you know, I was pretty good to go and we kept hunting, but you know, I was scared cause like, crap, how bad is this? Cause it, it dropped me. Like I was like, holy crap. It just has that, you know, that's, I don't know how to describe it, but you get these like sensations where you like, you almost black out. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it was kind of one of those things. It was like, Oh, how bad is this? Like sit down yeah. before you pass out. And like 10 minutes later, I was good to go. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, these things are, it's really easy to, to mess up out there. You, you hunt these shifting yeah. rocks, you hunt these steep terrains. I roll my ankles like a freaking every time I go out, it seems like I roll my ankle. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's just, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a little bit more knowledge, especially on my end, you know, and, and out of respect for the guys that I hunt with, I would, I would want to make sure that I'm able to take care of them, you know? Um, yeah. so I guess what I'm saying is, is slips, trips and falls. What would be some things that a guy would need for those? Um, cause I don't carry any braces. I don't carry any of that stuff. Um, ace wrap an ace wrap. And that's just basically a really big bandage, right? Like yeah. a piece of fabric. It's uh, like an elastic band rolled up uh, yeah. and you use it for sprains and strains. So if you roll your ankle, you can wrap it up and all, it just gives that compression. So it gives you more stability. Uh, if you roll your ankle and it's bad, mm. you give that stability. So now it's firmer and you're not going to roll it again or just hurt it even more. Uh, that bad knee, you'd be able to wrap it up. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, an ace wrap. 100%. Well, I know, uh, I know some guys are using these, um, God, what are they called? Um, they're like this little basically emergency device where they hit a button. Yeah. If something happens, do you have any yeah. experience or any, any ideas with those? So there's two that I like. Uh, the one I'm more familiar with is the spot GPS. That's uh, the one I was talking yeah. about. Yeah. And then there's another one that's called, uh, in reach. And those are the yep. two that we, we preach. I just have two guys that use them. Um, I myself don't have one right now. That is a, a bad thing on my end. Uh, but, I'm usually with somebody who has one. So the inReach and the spot are their GPS trackers, uh, their emergency response stuff. Uh, the inReach uses, it's a handheld GPS uh, and uses Garmin satellites. Now it used to be owned by Delorme mm -hmm. uh, and then they uh, Garmin bought them out. So now it's run by Garmin. And unfortunately that means the prices went up and everything. But oh. uh, so you get it and it's a subscription type thing uh, or type service. So you get the spot and it's a, you buy it. It's the cheaper device has four buttons on it, has on and off button, has an okay button. It has a help button and then a 911 button. So you hit okay. And I basically send a pre-made message that you set up on your profile to my wife or to whoever saying, Hey, I'm okay. I'm at camp. I'm whatever. Uh, and it lets them know that everything's good. Hmm. And then you have help and you can pre-make the message that says, Hey, you know, Jeep is stuck, whatever. Like I just send help and it sends a GPS location to where you're at. Uh, and then 911 sends it out to the nearest rescue service, uh, for, I think like an extra seven bucks, um, 
a month or actually no, seven, seven bucks a year, I believe uh, you get the search and rescue like insurance or something like that uh, for a spot. So it's kind of worth it, but it's an annual deal. So a spot, if you're out hunting, uh, like for you, for example, if you're going out all the time in far back country, Mm -hmm. makes sense because it's an annual membership. So you pay, I think it's $190 for the year and then you're set and that's, you don't have to think about it. It's just a little box has a couple buttons. You're good to go. How much is the actual device itself? Uh, it's like $200. Okay. Uh, so it's the cheaper of the two. The in reach is around $400. Uh, and then it's a monthly subscription. Uh, so you just pay for whenever you're going to use it. If you're going, Hey, I'm going on a couple hunts next month. I'm mm -hmm. going this time. You just pay for it. Then the other benefit to the in reach is you can also do customized messaging. So it connects to your phone. You can actually send a text over satellite with your phone. So you can literally say, I'm just, I'm stuck. I need somebody to come get me, hmm. um, to I'm not hurt, but I need help or whatever. Uh, my personal opinion is that's just more batteries to kind of keep track right. of. Uh, but yeah, no, those devices, they're awesome. I've heard personal stories of people who they weren't in grave danger, but because they were stuck, they would have been in bad danger. They would have been in pretty bad situation uh, if they didn't have the spot. And because they had that, they were able to get help. Uh, it's, it's a good device to have. Hmm. So so do you guys have a lot of backcountry there in Arizona or what's your um, hunts look like there? I wouldn't call it backcountry compared to like Idaho and Oregon. And, uh, it's different. There, our Northern side, it can definitely be a lot more backcountry. Uh, down here, it's the desert landscaping, a lot of mountains, uh, a lot of flats. Uh, but it's not the like overgrown pines and forests where you got 20 yards of view for anything. Yeah, uh, I'm talking, I climb up on a mountain. I can see for hundreds and hundreds of yards. Like I can, I have a huge view. Uh, mm. So down here, at least up North where you start getting to the Ponderosa pines, uh, it definitely gets heavier, but even then you still get enough clear breaks that you can start seeing things pretty easy. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's not too bad. Well, I see a rattlesnake there. It looks like a rattlesnake skin there behind yeah. you. Um, yeah. I hate snakes, man. I planned my whole <laughs> trip to Africa around snakes, like the best time of year not to see a snake. Yeah. So um, obviously you guys have rattlesnakes over there. Yeah. And stuff. I mean, we have them here in Oregon too, and in some places they're really common. Um, yeah. Others there aren't. I've only probably seen a dozen in my whole life, but probably less than a dozen in my whole life. Yeah, oh yeah. I'll um, see a dozen in like a season. So. Seriously. <laughs> They're all over the place. Yeah. So usually you'll see them. Those are, uh, I call them dove snakes because that's when they come out is during dove season because uh -oh. right? you're romping around. It's getting a little bit cooler and that's when they're active is just during dove season. Uh, what would yeah. be the, uh, the process for a snake bite? Uh, you can't suck out the venom like city slickers. No, right? no don't do that. <laughs> uh, honestly, get, just make sure the person's calm. If it's you, make sure you're calm and then get to the hospital. The really? chances of you dying from a rattlesnake bite are pretty slim. Uh, you have a better chance of dying from a shark attack, probably. Really? I don't know well, the if exact you get bit, number. Say, like on the arm, um, mm -hmm. how long until you start losing like uh, flesh and, and like body long parts? Long time. Oh, like, really? Like a long time, yeah. So you have, well, it also depends on what you got bit by, but you have uh, most rattlesnakes are like a hemotoxin type of rattlesnakes, and then you get the Mojaves which have neurotoxin and hemotoxin. So hemo is blood, neuro is neurological, all that stuff. Oh. Uh, 
Um, so you start mess, it starts messing with your whole mind as well as your blood. Um, but the hemotoxin, it'll start messing with the coagulation of your blood, but it's really, you'll be fine. Uh, huh. it'll suck. It'll hurt. Uh, and then it'll swell. And that's really what's going to hurt even more is where it's swelling. You just keep calm. You'll survive it. Cause you think about what their, their venom when they bite, um, their venom's designed to take down small mammals. That's about it. Uh, even a dog that gets bit, it's, it, there's a chance it'll survive it. Uh, hmm. it's not a big deal. Uh, and even if they do manage to hit you with, uh, their venom, a lot of times they dry bite cause it's just out of fear. Uh, hmm. you're hiking up, you put your hand on a rock and it happened to be there. You scared it, it scared you. And out of defense, it just snaps at you. Uh, and it's a dry bite. Um, they, hmm. most of the time they don't even inject. So I didn't know that. I've always heard that the little ones are more dangerous. Than oh them. yeah. 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 The babies are definitely dangerous cause they don't know what they're doing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're little bastards. Yeah, they're awful. I hate snakes, man. I, I seriously, <laughs> I like have, I, I think I have a phobia, but it's, it's bad enough to where I, I just like, but when anacondas came out, dude, like I was so, <laughs> I couldn't even sleep. Not yeah, just looking yeah. at the title of the cover, but um, anyway, so let's go over some hunts in, in Arizona because I, you know, I want to start expanding my, my, you know, adventures that I go on and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you guys have some, really really good mule deer and elk. oh yeah yeah um you guys have the arizona strip there right yeah arizona and strip. that's you know that's supposed to be a wow. hot spot that is prime yeah so what's what's an opportunity to look like for a guy that's out of state like me how's the draw system work what's, <laughs> what are the kind of costs that are associated with arizona so if as an out-of-state entering the draw system it kind of sucks. Uh, I think I looked at the numbers a while ago and only 10% of, uh, it was like 10% of tags or something like that go to out of state for each unit and go really? to out of state people. Yeah. I think uh, Idaho so is the same way. Yeah. So it, it's something already low. And then you look at like the strip, for example. So it's, uh, two different units. Um, you look at the strip and it's, I, I think your chance of getting drawn, period is less than 1%. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, just it, because it, it turns into a numbers game. Uh, it's not only seasonal uh, when you want to go out, but that's just prime. That's where the giant mule deer are, so everybody wants to put in for there. Right. So you have only so many tags available, and then you have hundreds of thousands of hunters putting in. So, yeah, it's somewhere around less than 1%. I think it's like 0.4% chance of getting drawn. Do you guys uh, have a, a preference point system or what kind of yeah. system do you guys have? So we call, uh, yeah, we get bonus points. So it's kind of like the preference point. Um, we have, so you put in, if you don't get drawn it, you basically, you get to choose, you have five hunts to choose from. Mm -hmm. Um, really you have two hunts. Uh, I've never met anybody that's gotten like their third, fourth, fifth choice ever. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> yeah, so you have those, you get put in. If you don't get drawn, then you get a bonus point. Uh, and then the way the draw works, uh, I'm pretty sure it's like a lot of other draw systems, but you get a randomized number that's generated. And then that's how the tags are drawn is the lowest numbers are the ones that get the tags. So the more bonus points you have, the more random numbers you get generated. So if you had five bonus points and you were putting in, then you get your randomized number and then you get five extra randomized really? numbers. If it's like using, have more tickets in the drawing kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's like buying extra tickets, but you also only get the bonus points per season. So that's every year. 
So like bighorn sheep, for example, uh, that's literally people consider that in Buffalo, like once in a lifetime hunt. Cause I've known guys that have 25 bonus points and that's on the low end, uh, of them maybe getting drawn. So they'll, they'll wait 25, 30 years or something like that, uh, before they even get drawn into the unit. I think the earliest I ever heard was a guy that had 22 bonus points that he was applying to it. Really? Uh, yeah. Oregon's so, a little bit different for our, uh, for our bighorn sheep. Um, there's no points. You just, it's a, it's a lottery every yeah. year. Yeah. And you know, there's kids every year that draw it when they're 12 and 14. Yeah. So they, they do cause it's, they do the bonus point. The idea is it's kind of like a loyalty system. Uh, they're trying to make it so that everybody gets a chance. Uh, mm-hmm. sometimes the bonus points, I kind of laugh. I'm like, really? Uh, but the idea is after, if I put in for the strip for multiple years, cause you don't necessarily have to use your points towards, um, a hunt. You could ply normally and not use your points. Really? So, so if you went in and you were like accruing, 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 like, I don't want to use my points. But then if you go, I have this unit that I know there aren't many people sitting on 20 bonus points, uh, for whatever reason, uh, you use that, you basically have a way higher chance of getting drawn. So um, would that be like basically like a general season then? Yeah. Um, so they have the general season because even how they do it, they do three phases in the draw. So the first one is called the bonus pass. Uh, so they actually go through and that's where all the bonus points will they'll, they'll go, okay, who has this number? And then they start actually taking into account the amount of bonus points that you have. Um, so you actually can get drawn if you have 22 bonus points and nobody else has that, then they basically look at your first choice, second choice, whatever. Um, so yeah, that'd be general season. The way for somebody like you, uh, to come hunting down here mm-hmm. is to get an out of state temporary tag. So it's just like anywhere else you get the three day here. It's a day by day. So you pay, I think out of state's 20 bucks per day. That's not bad. Uh, no. And then you get a over the counter tag. Uh, that is the way to go. Uh, cause the over the counter tags are archery only. Uh, really? Yeah. And people don't like archery. Well, I take that back. Archery is getting a lot, a little bigger here. Um, but still people love rifle hunting. Uh, there's a lot of archery general season, archery hunts, especially, uh, elk hunts. I know people like middle of the rut and you can easily get drawn every year. Uh, I've known guys that have put in seven years straight and they've gotten drawn in that same unit. Uh, and it's a metro unit, so it's close to the town, and it's not bad. Uh, and they every year they get drawn bull up, and good good chances of killing a bull too. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it definitely turns into. Uh, for example, my my in laws live in the middle of a metro unit, mm-hmm. uh, and it's fun. You'll go out, uh, you can bugle, and literally you're picking which bugle sounds better at that really? point. That one sounds more aggressive. I'm going to go that way, and it's. It's insane. I've never, I probably have, I'm not even gonna say never. That's pretty definitive. Uh, <laughs> but I, you usually hear people that tag out pretty easily on decent sized bowls. You're kidding uh, me. Oh yeah. It's That's so opposite of Oregon. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, and then you get into the bigger units, like you get into the Kaibab or the strip or, Oh my gosh, you start getting into monsters. Uh, right. They're, they're crazy. Uh, but yeah, definitely up north, the strip. People want that, and that's the stuff. I mean, I apply for it if I want to. Uh, and then you start playing the the the, the weighing your options type game because you're only allowed one antler deer uh, per year. So if you were going for mule deer, you can get over the counter tag. Uh, so in January, for example, I'm going to get an over the counter deer tag uh, while I'm 
uh, javelina hunting, I figured I might as well try to find a deer too. But if I get it then, I can't get drawn for deer later that year. So late 2019, I can't get drawn. Uh, really? But I can apply for a bonus point if I want, or I just keep doing it. So really the kind of way is it, you buy it and it lasts all year long. You can buy your tag, uh, wait until you go to draw. If you don't get drawn, then go hunt late season. Uh, and then you just, you basically have chances to hunt if you want to. Uh, and then spring stuff, uh, like spring javelina, bear, turkey, they're pretty easy uh, to get drawn for. Oh most God. people, yeah, most people don't like hunting javelina. I don't know why. They're fun. Uh, yeah, those, those, and I heard they're good eating too. Or is that? It depends. That, a lot of people actually don't like the taste. The problem is there's scent glands. They get it all because they're always rubbing on each other. They get yeah. it all over their hair. So when people are cleaning them, they'll be grabbing uh, the hide and they're pulling it down and then they'll handle the meat and all that stuff. It just ruins the flavor. Uh, but I mean, it tastes like pork. Uh, it really isn't that bad. So you said you have, you have first season there. Um, and that's the, the bonus pass. Mm-hmm. Season. Well, that's uh so you have, um, that's just how the, the phases of the draw happen. Oh, I so see. You have, like, yeah. General season, like, so, uh, general fall hunts. And then you have every season like that you want. So it'll be like pre rut, rut, velvet, however you want. Um, you can just go after it, but then it's also dependent on stuff. So during velvet, you're super limited on rifle. Uh, there are definitely more tags for bow. Um, yeah, it just depends on what you want. Uh, you can go everything from, we have a ham hunt, which it's, it's a muzzle loader, a handgun archery muzzle loader. Uh, so it's just the, the trifecta. Um, so that's what I'm doing for javelina because I want to hunt a javelina with a handgun. Yeah. Be fun. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So for over-the-counter opportunities, I, a guy like me can come over there. Um, yep. What time of year would I go over there for an over-the-counter, say, elk or mule deer? So it depends on when you want to get it. If you want to get a uh, – I was listening to one of your other podcasts, the whole uh, – the velvet, a velvet mule yeah. deer. Yeah. If you want to get a velvet mule deer, um, you can do it then. So it's basically all during the same seasons. So you have uh, – what is it? You have – pre rut or your velvet which is around august uh it's it, each of them are about a month long is how long your season is really uh, so you have like august and then you have pre rut and then you have uh which is november time frame and then rut which is like december 11th through 31st uh and then like your post rut which is like all of january um i mean you guys are a little bit later than us yeah um, Cause our stuff's it's right now it's, it's full swing. It's been going on for almost a month. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely a little bit later. I think a lot of it's like is with weather. It's starting to get down to where it's cooler here. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that's pretty typical with us. Uh, and it's like anything else. We, we generalize. I can't say exactly when the rut's going to happen. Right. Are you all the same way too? Do they rut late too? Or, uh, yeah, yeah. They generally rut a little bit later. Um, you can, I mean, it very, it depends. I know guys that were doing like pre-rut hunts, like per the schedule. Uh, and they're like right in the middle. I mean, really holes are just hot and heavy. They're snotting and bugling everywhere. Like they're just going crazy. And they're like, what in the hell? Like, yeah, this isn't supposed to happen. Like, they take it. They're happy about it. They're like, All right. This is cool. This yeah. Imagine easy. if I went over there, it'd be after Oregon and all that stuff. So I'd probably go over there in like December. Yeah. Um, and that be. sounds like it might be during some sort of rut yeah. over there. Yeah, this would definitely be prime for like for mule deer. Uh, you'd be pretty solid. Uh, and yeah, you just 
you come over, I think the mule deer over the counter tag it for out of state is like three fifty. That's not um, no compare in state. It's like $34. Oh, uh, I yeah. know it's three fifty two or yeah. no 300. I think it's 300 for uh, deer. Yeah. And then elk is six fifty. Uh, yeah. that's on par with Idaho. That's yeah. Not too bad. So, um, and then you get, you just pay the 20 bucks a day, you get the, whatever tag you want. Um, and then you're solid. That's, that's so it. if I buy a deer oh, tag, do I have to specify white tail, you know, or mule deer or whatever? Usually it, it, it'll say any antler deer. Uh, so you can get coos white tail, white tail, uh, mule deer, whatever. So any antler deer, um, elk are the ones you can get antlerless or antlered. Um, and here too, if you, like, if you got a mule deer, if you wanted to, you could shoot a spike if you really wanted to. Really? Nah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could have done but, that last weekend if I wanted to, I could have, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty easy. So you get your hunting license. So here the hunting license is just the hunting license. It doesn't come with tags. So, um, I was in Texas before we, we, my wife and I lived in Texas for a couple of years, uh, and I loved it as far as a hunting license, you buy that, you get five deer, three does, two bucks. Uh, you had like two or three Turkey tags. If I remember right, like you just, you had tags galore just with really? your $6 hunting license. I'm like, Oh, this is insane. That's uh, crazy. But downside is all of it is private land. So then you'd have to drop two, three grand on a lease if you wanted to. And, but yeah. So tell me about your guys's, um, your guys's like January opportunities and stuff. What do you guys have for, somebody that's maybe right now they're got the blues September's over and they still don't, you know, they still want to go on a hunt. Um, definitely looking into, that's why I encourage like javelina hunts, uh, spring javelina it's February. Um, but I encourage it just because if you didn't get drawn for big, like I didn't get drawn for elk or deer. Mm. Uh, and I knew I'm going to get an over the counter tag, but I really wanted a rifle hunt and some of the units that I was just, uh, just checking out. Uh, like I said earlier, I have all my, my shed. So I'll go out shed hunting and there's some areas I just run into guys. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I want to come back for you so bad. And so I didn't get drawn. And so I'll put in for Havelina um, because not a lot of people like doing it, but really the way I kind of, I get rid of my no draw blues is uh predator hunting. That's my, really that is my gambit is uh, it's something that it's newer to me, but I love it. I love every, every little bit of it. Uh, my boss is like a guru of <laughs> predator hunting and he said, you should try it. I was like, okay, I'll try it. And now I got coyote skulls sitting up there and yeah. oh, I've, I'm in love with it. I love it. So, so that's really interesting. Cause I, I, you know, I see guys over there that, you know, coyotes and you guys, you said you had bears too. Yep. Um, well, uh, cougars. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. We have too many well, of those darn man. things around here. Say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, what about your, your coos deer? What time? Cause I know seems, seems like guys are hunting those pretty late. Um, yeah. it, and, and run me through. So if say, if I wanted to put in for next year, does your guys's run? So if I'm putting in for hunts, you guys start doing that on January? No, it's going to be, um, I think for fall it's around February. So usually when stuff happens, it's like in the middle of the season. So you have your fall hunts, uh, and then you apply during fall hunts is then when you apply for your spring hunts, oh. uh, which is like Jan stuff runs into January, but January, February, 
if I remember right, uh, I could be wrong. So I don't want people to like take this for a <laughs> word. I don't remember. I honestly have a reminder on my phone that's just like, Hey, you need to apply for your hunt. So I don't have to remember it. Interesting. Uh, so you guys have multiple draws a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's so you really have, unique. So they do it seasonally. Uh, so your, your big game spring is, uh, javelina, turkey, bear, uh, bighorn or no, not bighorn. Um, yeah. Javelina, turkey, bear, I'm missing one. I don't remember. Um, and then fall is when you start getting into uh, your fall elk hunt. And then you also have the application for the draw in June for your fall deer. So deer and elk seasons for your draw are different because the deer or the elk has to be there is sooner than you start elk hunting sooner than you do deer hunting. Really? Uh, yeah. So, um, cause I'm really interested in coos. I always see these guys over there and they're having a great time. The weather is beautiful for coos deer. Um, what would be your time of year to, to target those? I'd say December, January. Right now. Um, yeah. Like right now. Um, just cause they're so, they're fun, but it's starting to get cooler. So that was the whole point is they're down South. Um, and they, it, it's just, it's hot. And that's where I'm at is the Phoenix area. So oh, really? it's super hot. Uh, it's, awful during the summers and they're just moving everywhere but now it's starting to get into um like our i think today was 74 out and that's just our high uh but yeah that's we're not sitting with snow on the ground or any of the other stuff oh my god yeah today it was it was it was (laughs) under and really loud like i thought the train somebody crashed the train because the thunder was so loud today it was like yeah smokes and it was soaked through two pairs of close the day out working yeah. like man but that's regular oregon weather yeah and so we we got i think today was high 74 it gets down to maybe mid 40s uh-huh. uh so the coos that's when they they love it they're always active uh that's probably the the other thing that a lot of guys get discouraged when they come down um my favorite mule deer hunting is desert mule deer hunting there's mm-hmm. a difference like up north on the strip they're definitely a lot in my opinion easier to find because they're not as active as they are down in the desert, uh, which if you think about deer activity, it makes perfect sense anyways. Um, but I love elusive deer. It's just cause it turns into more hunting. It's harder. Uh, yeah. it's not as easy. Um, around here, it's the spot and stock mentality. Uh, yeah. you get up high glass for whatever, when you see it problem is, is they call, um, I mean, I feel like we call all our animals ghosts, uh, <laughs> but you'll glass a hillside, you'll see a big old buck and you're like, cool, where's he at? Let me get a reference point. You'll go back and he's gone. It just disappears and you have no idea how. Uh, and then especially coos deer because they're smaller, uh, they just, they blend in so well. Their coloring blends in so well with the desert surrounding. Like it's, Really? Yeah. I'd uh, want to do it with a bow, but I wouldn't be opposed to getting it done with the rifle over there. But it sounds like it'd be easier to get a tag. It'd be easier to get a tag for a bow, but it's going to be really hard because they're just, it's like getting an antelope. Uh, they just really so smart and they're so aware of everything. Uh, it's insane. Um, you definitely have more coverage down there. Um, but coos deer tend to move a lot more. Uh, you really don't run into them. And then them being in the desert, they really don't. I've maybe jumped two or three this year alone. Uh, I've maybe jumped two or three deer bedded down in the desert. Really? Uh, and I think it was just cause it was too hot for them. Uh, so they just like took a break or something. Huh. Uh, but yeah, even during shed season, I mean, I'll find brownies just with blood, fresh blood on them and I won't even see them. A lot of times I'll just go, Holy crap. Like 
I don't see signs anywhere because they just they drop go they do whatever they want and they they'll scale mountainsides they'll hit up top and then that's the other thing too is they'll start running ridge lines then they'll drop down they don't usually have a consistent path uh, even mule deer being kind of habitual for what they do uh, they're really not they're like hey this range is my my habit uh, that's huh. it so you'll go up and glass up top and they'll be up top with you next time they'll be down or they'll be on the side they it's crazy yeah i've heard i've heard arizona has really good um numbers for because there's not really any winter winter kill over there it doesn't really and so you know i just heard it's kind of a different beast in arizona it's it's a much different experience than say you'd get over here and it'd be nice to hunt in a t-shirt for once you know yeah yeah oh you'll get a a sweatshirt because it'll be cold and you get like Phoenix natives, if I go out in the morning, I mean, I'll still put on a base layer really? and I'm cold, but up North, when you do the stuff up North, uh, it does get colder. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar, like up in the strip Flagstaff area, uh, it's actually at 7,000 foot elevation. Is uh, it? You, wow. Yeah. You get snow. Uh, that's where I grew up was up in Flagstaff. Um, and yeah, you get snow. I think they've already had a couple of snowfalls this year. Uh, but that it actually does get pretty dang cold up there uh down here it's just hard and hell hot (laughs) like summer 120 degree summers or winters in the 60s that's crazy i I can officially say i'm jealous of arizona guys now (laughs) man yeah yeah because we're sitting here and it's just you know it's a cold wet over here too yeah oh that's the worst yeah when i was in idaho and the wind wasn't blowing it was like 32 degrees but if the wind wasn't blowing you could pretty much be in a t-shirt i mean it was and then as soon as that wind blew, you were like, all right, where's my layers? Give me my layers. Yeah. <laughs> Too freaking yeah. cold. Yeah. But, um, so what else would a guy need to know? Um, you know, you got draws coming year round that you have to put in for. It so- sounds like you really need to be up on your Arizona yeah. knowledge for putting in for draws. What else would a guy need to know? Um, know what unit. So, uh, a lot of the times, um, especially with archer depending on the season they'll combine units uh, so you get a lot of like 13a and b for example like the the strip mm-hmm. uh, you have those depending on your hunt sometimes they'll combine it for and i'm not saying go for the strip i'm just i'm saying that's already going to be difficult on its <laughs> own uh but they'll combine it and then some units it's just a or it's just b and then looking at it you'll go well a is the west side and i've been scouting the east side so what do i need to look to look at um geo scouting or like uh for what do you call e scouting like using like uh mm-hmm. like GPS uh to do that kind of scouting works out pretty well um, yeah. but yeah knowing what units are covered and it's pretty easy when you're applying if you apply for a hunt you'll know but when you get an over the counter tag know what units are applicable to that tag what works um so knowing your units and what units are hot um game and fish does all right at reporting numbers. Uh, but for the most part, if you go onto some of the like hunting forms, Arizona has a lot of big hunting forms. The most popular one is Coos Whitetail is the hunting mm-hmm. form. Uh, and you can just ask like what numbers are looking at. And most guys are out hunting and scouting anyways. Uh, so mm-hmm. you'll just see it. And that's usually when I, how I choose my units is I'm hiking around shed hunting, doing whatever. And I go, yeah, I've saw a lot of activity here. Um, and that's what it, I go for. So um, are the are the coos throughout the state or are they just on, on the south? They're down south. Down south. Uh, yeah. So down south is really you won't even in this area you won't see them. It's going to be closer to Mexico. Really? Is where you're going to start running into them, yeah. Hmm. So pretty close to the border, northern of the border. 
Well, it sounds like Arizona's not as, I mean, it's not that expensive. Well, elk are 650. That's pretty expensive. But it sounds like if a guy wanted to go over there, pick a, a general season unit, he could have a pretty good chance at, a, at an elk. Yeah. Um, you know, and you'd be out probably close to a grand. Uh, yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's not too bad. Yeah. Just on, on tags alone, you get your, your license. Uh, like I said, you get the day to day. I think that's what deters a lot of people is they, they look at the general license itself uh and you don't need it you just day to day um what's the general the, license cost if you're going to get it um shoot i honestly don't remember i know for like for in-state it's 50 something dollars oh. for the license that's uh, probably a hundred and something for an yeah it's, it's something that's not bad uh and it's not it's not awful uh but a lot of people just they start adding stuff up and you just you think about it. if you get four honestly four days that'd be a hefty amount of time to find something, especially when you come into a peak time of the season, uh, you get four days of hunting, uh, you'd be solid. That would really be a time. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That's one thing I always ask is, you know, like when I was going to Idaho, cause I'm learning how to hunt that this year. Yeah. You know, I was talking to guys, I'm like, how often do you get a shot at a deer? Like once a day, once every five days. Mm-hmm. And the guys I was talking to like, Oh yeah, three or four a day. I'm like, three or four a day. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I only need one hopefully, but yeah. And, uh, it, it, I'll tell you, it wasn't three or four a day when I went over there, but also no. it was a bad year because of the weather was, was pretty mm-hmm. late, but so yeah, we, uh, we had last year was pretty, was pretty dry. Uh, it was the driest winter we had ever had. Really? Uh, like I said, flag normally gets snow. They didn't get any, uh, it was just off. We had a really, really dry winter. This year's kicked up a lot more. We've had a lot more moisture. So, um, my boss, he got his on day one. Um, uh, trying to think of any, buck. yeah, his deer, uh, his buck. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody that didn't get theirs on day one after picking and choosing. Like he even went, I, I would shoot him, stalked him, saw a bigger one, went for the bigger one. <laughs> really? Uh, his son, they passed up on day one, I think two or three bucks that they saw, uh, mm-hmm. because one, he was, he was pretty proud. He was like, he managed to have self-control. I was like, I'm going to wait. I don't want that one. He's like, all right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> now and now he's kicking himself he's like ah, i should have got that one but yeah <laughs> uh but yeah i mean most people i know especially this year they're pretty on top of it uh one day but even on hard days uh it's not to say that you won't have you could come here four days and not see a thing Get your uh, butt kicked. I, yeah it just happens but i would honestly say like four or five days would give you enough time to enjoy the area hike a little bit and then also get an animal so, uh, for, for backcountry stuff, how far can a guy expect to get away from the roads and stuff over there? Is there an opportunity for a guy that wants to go backcountry there? Yeah. Um, a little bit. So, uh, off-roading is pretty big in Arizona. So there are, there are Jeep trails everywhere. Um, huh. so you'll find roads. Um, there's a couple that I take that they're, they're roads. They're not maintained, but the roads that vehicles have gone on. And I know that nobody's gone in there cause I went out there shed hunting and I can still see my tire tracks from the last time I was out there and that's oh. it. So I know people don't go out them, but you'll see roads everywhere. So it's pretty easy to get out away from people. Um, but it's like anywhere else you, you want to get off the beaten path. Uh, you'll do a lot of parking and then go up on a, a hillside and try to figure out where you want to go. Uh, the harder it is to get into the easier time you'll have of finding something, uh, just because that's not where people want to go. Right, they, right. They know the Jeep trails will lead them. 
So that makes that makes a lot of sense. Over over on my last hunt, it seems like all ninety nine percent of the deer were all at least two drainages away from any road. So yeah. if you wanted to see a deer, you'd have to go up, down, up, and then down. And you might run into one outside of the first drainage, but typically, like they were all about half a mile to two miles yeah. away from the road. So it was like, man. So yeah, it's, for that reason alone, I wasn't going to shoot a dink. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's knowing which, uh, like what roads are actual roads. So they're pretty marked pretty well. Um, but here we have a lot of state trust land, so you'll get ranchers that just have the land on state trust land. So they'll have their own roads, uh, to and from their, their pens or wherever. Uh, and so knowing it, uh, gone out and you run into the ranchers and they just kind of talk to you cause you can hunt on state trust land. No big deal. Um, mm. But just knowing what's an actual pay, uh, maintained road is big, not only for legal reasons, for if you happen to shoot across one, but, uh, but yeah, knowing what's actually maintained, because then you'll, you'll see traffic, you'll see whatever. Um, but there's a lot. You can almost pull it up and look anywhere, and you'll see roads all over, just because people are big into the off-roading, overlanding, doing all that fun stuff yeah. around here, because they have the seasons and everything for it. Hmm. Uh, what, what about, uh, do you guys have Audad? there at all odd ad i think i don't think so i don't know i i've no, never yeah no, it's not a common thing over yeah there. It's, if it is i've i've never like uh, heard of it i'd yeah. be interesting because i've heard those are really hard to hunt yeah and, and fun and they're in those kind of deserty mountainish yeah uh terrains and stuff but we have some here because they they were uh like domesticated yeah or, you know or, or hunted on ranches they escaped some ranches yeah um, but it's so hit and miss and I've never even seen one in the wild and they're in very, very, very particular spots, usually next yeah. to hunting ranches. So, yeah, but oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm always trying to find that, that super <laughs> secret <laughs> no one wants to talk about. Oh yeah. Maybe, maybe I do know about it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I do. Nobody talk, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, uh, the elusive one people like here is antelope. Uh, they just, they love them. Is the so, what? Antelope. Oh really? You guys got big ones over there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they get pretty big, um, but just the where they hang out are like grassland, flatlands. Yeah, uh, not necessarily prairies, but I mean, you can see them. And of course, it's always off season when you see them super close to the road <laughs> and hanging out. It's just a big old buck, and he's just sitting there looking at you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they'll hang out right in the middle of it, and they're just looking around everywhere. And I mean, it's like an eight hundred plus yard shot. And you're trying to sneak up on them, and they're watching you the entire time. Yeah. You know? And are you getting that done with a bow? Oh, I know a couple of people that have tried it with bow. Uh, and I know a couple that were successful, but I mean, it's hard to get within a couple hundred yards from those. Uh, it's so hard. It takes yeah. a lot of hunting. Most guys I know that do it with a bow, it's a guided hunt. Uh, and they're doing it with a guide that's been doing it for years and he's figured it out. So yeah, probably out of a blind. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and that's the other thing is actually really interesting. Um, a lot of stuff, most hunters I know here really don't use blinds. Uh, you don't, we don't use tree stands. We don't use. It's probably too freaking hot. Well, it's too hot or uh, because of public land, our, our rules, you can't have it up for more than, I think it was like 32 hours or something like that. Oh, really? Uh, so you can't set it up preseason. So tree stands or whatever, you can't set it up and have it sit there. Um, so you got like two days basically uh, to have it up and then you have to take it down. So it's kind of a pain. You go set it up and now you're introducing this foreign thing and now like animals are like, what the hell is that thing? Yeah. yeah that's it's, really cool. So I, I, you really can't 
do anything as far as that for an advantage. So. Yeah, you know, here in, in Oregon, guys are always putting blinds out early and, and getting in fights with each other on right. antelope hunts in certain units. Yeah. It's like, man, I don't even want to deal with that. Like, or yeah. you'll have multiple blinds up on one water hole. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just a mess. The only time I've heard of blinds being used is it's all natural blinds. Uh, well, they'll bring brush that's laying down. They'll create like a natural blind uh-huh. that they know, but that's about it. Uh, huh. It's Most people don't. The only time I ever have used a blind was in Texas and that was private land and it had a space heater and <laughs> and a comfortable chair. Oh, it was awful. It wasn't hunting, but I, st- I mean, I wasn't going to complain. I still got the harvest. But. I actually might be going to, uh, to Texas next December. Um, oh, nice. I got invited with a buddy to go down there on some of his properties ranch or something and Mm. and they donate pretty much most of the meat if not all of it to this orphanage over there and stuff so it'll be really cool yeah because i i mean i don't know i'd like to bring some of the meat back obviously because i (laughs) i need the meat but you know i don't want to take it from a starving orphan (laughs) (laughs) hey i want this i know i know you're those kids but i want it Right. Well, when we, when we went to Namibia this year and I was like, I told the guy, I'm like, it's kind of important to me that I eat whatever I kill. And, uh, I like, I know what you guys need to do is you need to give it to, you know, bring it to market, give some of it to the employees. I understand that, but can I just have like a little, little bite of of whatever (laughs) it is? So we had wild animal, wild game every night and and whatever we didn't eat went to, well, market and employees and stuff. And, it was pretty cool. And it it could have very well not even been the animal I shot. You know, I can't, but it's a mental thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mental thing. I told him like, yeah, I just don't feel good about not eating something I, I kill, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. It's just way I was raised. All of us, you know, pretty much like that. But yeah. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on here. You really got me uh, interested in more. I was already interested in hunting Arizona, but now it's yeah. like, okay, I could, I could definitely do something down there. Absolutely. Oh yeah. It's yeah. a lot of fun. There's, Archery, it's becoming more popular, but if you're a bow hunter, uh, Arizona is a great place for it because right now, especially you have a good chance of getting something, uh, even in the draw system, you're, you have a good chance of yeah. getting good units. Um, it's, it's just not as popular yet. It's getting there because most people are starting to see the trend, uh, that bow hunters are getting drawn every year. And like, <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I need to change that. I even started doing, I was, I wasn't, raised a bow hunter uh i dabbled with it when i was younger but even more so now i was kind of like man i need to start bow hunting more do you got one yet a bow uh i use so i have an old old high country that my okay my father-in-law gave me um so before i've uh, my wife's family i've known them for years so before he was my father-in-law uh he gave it to me when i was younger and said hey i'm getting a new matthews you know huh you can have this. And I'm like, cool. I don't know what this is. And <laughs> let me try it. So I've tried it and now it's just wasn't working. And before I justify getting a new one, wife said I had to go out bow hunting a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> so that's fair. So that's fair. I, you know, at least you didn't say you have to kill something before with it before you no, go. Yeah. Cause like you need to go out a couple of times with a hunt and then we'll let you, I'll let you start looking at one. Uh, but I have my, my father-in-law now is bat Matthews is what I'm, going to use for the january hunt uh it's his switchback uh nice that's yeah, a great so, bow oh it's awesome i love it and he's like yeah, I, don't, I don't really use it i'm like oh, well <laughs> you know I'll, I'll just keep it here for a little bit and yeah so that's when we're going out shooting uh trying to decide what i want to get but other than that yeah it's it's something i'm slowly getting into i, I love the idea of it uh 
but yeah, it's, it's fun. I don't know. It's addicting, man. Oh I yeah. Mean. I'm, I'm just so hooked on predator hunting now, but now I want to combine the two. I'm like, I want to go predator hunting with a bow. So That's now, what I did this year. Yeah. I got my ass it. kicked. <laughs> That's why I want to do it. I really want to do it. Uh, just cause it sounds fun. I already upped it by using a shotgun and that's even more fun. Yeah. Uh, and then now I've just been thinking about it so much lately. Like, oh, I do Oregon's it. your, Oregon's your, your, your state then. Oh man. Cause uh, yeah. it's 16 bucks for a bear tag on oh. top of your license. And it's, I can't, you pay the same price we do for bears. We got too many of them. So yeah, 16 bucks for a bear. You can, if you come in the right time of the year, I think you even, even an out of stater can still kill two. Um, and my buddy went, wow. um, he, cause he, he goes out and takes people quite a bit. Um, I had him on the show, Derek, and I think he went out three times with a tag in his pocket. And each time he went out he came back with a bear. So <laughs> it, it, it's just crazy. I mean, I, I had a horrible year this year, but last year I saw, I think it was like 20 something, 27 bears or something like that. This year I only saw like eight. Um, wow. but yeah, you know, it's just, my areas are starting to get a little more popular. So I started having to go out and venture <laughs> and find new areas. But That's yeah, I mean, it, I, last year I never saw one person in my spots. And then this year is like every time I was like, well, the word got out, you know, like somebody <laughs> must've saw something here. I don't know. So, somebody must've told somebody something because <laughs> it's not a very good spot anymore. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh. Uh, but all right, man. Well, is, uh, is there anything else? Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, what's, what's your email or do you, do you want to send them to the website for your, uh, Arizona training stuff or? Yeah. So if you want, uh, on the, the medical side or hunting, we actually just did a, um, a, I guess you could say private training, uh, up in South Dakota mm-hmm. uh, for a group of guys, uh, for what their job they happen to be out and about, but they're a bunch of hunters. Uh, I was like 20 some odd guys. Um, but we did a combination of medical and shooting stuff. So, I mean, we cover everything outdoors is what we do. All of us are active in outdoors, whether it's hunting or just being out and doing it. Um, so it's pretty easy. Uh, we always tell people it's easy to host. Uh, if you have a group of people that are interested, super easy to host. If you decide to host like you, for example, if you had a group of some odd people, uh, you would get the class tuition for free kind of deal. Uh, so the host gets it for free. Um, and we travel all over, but if anybody has questions about medical stuff, uh, or where to get it, um, or what to look for or whatever, uh, if you have a kit, honestly, I'll throw this out for any of the listeners. If you have a kit that you're curious, if it's, if it's good, bad and different, want to know more about it, uh, shoot me an email. Uh, I don't, I don't care. I'll answer it. I, I talk and teach for a living this stuff. I, I will do it all day, every day. Uh, so my email, my personal email, we'll just do that is David at training AZ.com. Uh-huh. Um, so I gave the info one earlier. They both go to me, so it doesn't really matter. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> David at training AZ.com, uh, and our website is, uh, training AZ.com or independence training, however you want to look it up. Yeah. Well, and uh, you also do the fire firearm training yeah. as well. Yeah. We do everything from, uh, Arizona concealed carry stuff. So basic handgun. Mm-hmm. to long range precision rifle stuff. Uh, and then medical, we do everything from very beginner to invasive trauma stuff where I'm teaching you how to start IVs and crikes mm-hmm. and everything like that. So, man, well, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. And this is something that, you know, this is a kick in the butt for me. Cause I, I, you know, I carry it just to such a crappy med kit, like <laughs> I said earlier. And oh yeah, I'm just going to have to go invest in one. So if, uh, I'll put a link up, 
um, that, that leads to your guys' website. And if you want to message me somewhere that you suggest buying them from or a good website, um, I'll put that in the, in the, uh, in the links in the descriptions below. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll, you know, we'll just try and get people some, some great ideas for med kits and, and some, and some places like you where they can go to get more information. Cause Absolutely. it is something that, you know, it's not exciting. It's not fun to talk about no, really, but I, yeah, you know, it could save your life. I mean, it really yeah, that's, could. That's the problem is people don't look at it too often because it's not the cool, sexy stuff. Like I, <laughs> I show you some high speed footage of us shooting like completely kitted out and just going crazy with our carbines. Like, yeah, that looks cool. Yeah. And that's not what people want to learn about. It's, it's, uh, the importance of it is crazy. It, it, honestly, monthly I get stuff. Uh, we get stuff from students of how they've used the medical training that we've taught them. Uh, the 11 years our company has been in business. Um, I think we've had three situations where they had to use self-defense. Really? So, so yeah. Versus the medical, which is monthly, bi-weekly, weekly, whatever. I get messages, videos, pictures, of people saying, yeah, I use this medical stuff. And then it kind of tells you what's important, but people spend more time on the self-defense shooting side than they do medicine, even though medicine gets used way more often. I'll tell you the uh, stuff that I'm interested in is the blood clotting bandages. Yeah. Um, the stitch um, skin. I don't know about the skin stapler, but maybe the zip stitches. Uh, yeah. But, you know, and stuff like that. And, and I've been the guy, you know, <laughs> super glue, you know, that seems hey, to work. super glue work, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I do need to up my game there. So, but yeah, we do. Uh, so we not only teach, we, we have some commercial aid kits. We do sell some of the stuff. So mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, just whoever, if you guys want information or products or whatever, yeah, just let us know. So, all right, Dave. Well, I really appreciate your time, man. And uh, we'll yeah. probably have you back on again and maybe talk about long range and, and self-defense pistols yeah. and stuff like that. That'd be fun. Oh, yeah. We'll get, we'll get something squared away. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate you. I'll see you on the next one. All right. Sounds good. All right. See you. Bye. All right. That's this week's episode of the podcast. I appreciate everybody listening to the show. If you want to further support the show monetarily, uh, go to www.onpointpodcast.com. That's where you can go buy On Point Podcast gear, merchandise, buy a hat. I spent a lot, I spent a lot of time designing the colors, the mesh that goes with the front of the hats, the patch, um, all of this stuff. Spent a lot of time putting design into these hats. And I think what came out of it is a really slick looking hat. I uh, have different sizes for folks with different size heads. If you have a shallower, if you need a shallower dome, cap uh buy the 115s if you have a regular head and you just like the richardson 112s um, buy the 112s but the 115s are for smaller heads like myself or shallower domes um, those will be a good hat so i really got stuff for everybody on there i probably have too many different selections because now it's hard to choose uh, but the uh, the camel ones just sold out today um, i do have a full selection of the cryptex um, and then tons of other different color combos. So if you want to go support the podcast, go do that and uh, be super appreciative of anybody that does that. If you want to support it in a different way, five-star reviews on iTunes, or you can go to the YouTube channel, subscribe, watch the videos, and uh, that is the main revenue that supports the podcast. So pretty much most, like almost all the YouTube money gets poured back into the podcast to help it grow. That helps buy more shirts, hats, you know, new recording equipment, um, constantly always trying to uh, grow the podcast there. So as always, guys, I appreciate you listening to the podcast. I'll see you on the next one. Bye.